Man, I'm excited to share the word. I want to get straight to the word God has given me, and I hope you feel like hearing it, like I feel like preaching it, uh, because God has been speaking to me uh, specifically about the issue of identity, about identity, because I'm finding out that the greatest revelation you can get after knowing who God is is to know who you are in relationship to him. Well, that was so nice, I'm going to say it twice. I said the greatest revelation you can get after knowing who God is is to begin to understand who you are in relationship to him. How many know it's one thing to know who Donald Trump is? It's one thing. It's a whole nother thing if after the service, your mama calls you and says, baby, I got to tell you something that I've never told you before. Uh, the man you've been calling daddy is not your daddy. Donald is your daddy, okay? <laughs> after you get over the shock, after you get over the shock, how many you know immediately your Christmas list changes? Come on, somebody, forget a Keurig, you want a helicopter, all right? <laughs> you are never staying at a Holiday Inn another night in your life. Watch this, not because you didn't know who Donald was, but because you didn't know who you were in relationship to him. How many of you know it's not enough to know who God is if you don't begin to understand who you are in relationship to him? And when you understand that, how many of you know your expectation begins to shift? It begins to change. Come on, you start expecting blessing. You start expecting him to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you may ask or think. So that's kind of uh, the appetizer for my thoughts today. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis 32. Uh, Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. And uh, Jacob is going to be our case study today. How many brought a Bible with you to church? Did you bring a Bible? Come on, if you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. That's awesome. <laughs> if you got a Bible, Genesis 32, uh, starting at verse number 22. Once you got it, say, yeah. Still looking for it, say, hold up. All right, I'll wait. <laughs> Even though it's Genesis, <laughs> the first book of the Bible. <laughs> No condemnation, no condemnation. Take your time. <laughs> it says, starting at verse number 22, it says, That night, Jacob got up and took hmm, his two wives. <laughs> Pastor Herbert's going to cover that in the series next week. Um, <laughs> and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Can you say Amen. I'm going to preach uh, this morning or afternoon, not long, uh, about five and a half hours, uh, just from this simple thought, me, my selfie, and God. Me, <laughs> my selfie, and God. Look at your neighbor one last time and say, neighbor, all I have is me, my selfie, 
and God. If you believe God's going to speak to you this morning, come on, give him some praise even right now. Hallelujah. Are there any parents in the house today? Any parents? Can I see your hand? You're a parent. Come on, yes. Clap for yourself. Celebrate yourself. <laughs> I had you lift up your hand because I just wanted to pause and see my support group in the place while I preach. Because how many you know, hashtag the parental struggle is real. <laughs> it is so real. As a matter of fact, I'm starting a new organization. I'm starting a new organization. It's called PTA. I'm hijacking PTA. Uh, it's no longer Parent Teacher Association, but it is Parents Together Association. And we're just going to get together, maybe monthly or weekly or daily, and uh, we're just going to encourage each other with scriptures. Scriptures like, uh, greater is he who is in you than any kid you brought into the world <laughs> scripture scriptures like no toddler formed against you shall be able to prosper and every teenager that rises up against you god will condemn scriptures you you read them scriptures and if you wonder why, why i'm saying this is because i'm a parent now people i've been a parent for one year one year uh to a beautiful baby girl her name is everly there she is come on people i made that uh <laughs> That's my daughter, and, uh, and we just found out in the not-too-distant past that we're having baby number two in January, January 27th. There's baby number two. Come on, this one looks like me. And uh, let's just let the cat out of the bag. It's the third service. Baby number two is a boy, people. I am having a man-child. And, uh, and, and before we found out what we were having, we were playing the name game if it was a girl. We were throwing out different names. However, we were not throwing out names for a boy because his name was already picked. His name had already been established. My son's name had to be and will be Robert Madu the third. Robert Madu the third. The reason I want my son's name to be Robert Madu the third is because my official legal name is Robert Madu Jr. That's my official name, okay? I love Robert Madu. I don't like Junior, okay? To me, Junior is something you order off the kid's meal at Burger King, okay? I don't like Junior. I would prefer it be Robert Madu the second. But somebody alerted and apprised me that you cannot be the second until you have a third. So January 27th is going to be a big day, not just I'm having a son because I'm graduating from junior to the second. And, uh, and I love having my dad's name. I love having my father's name. My dad uh, really is the greatest man of God that I know. I love having his name. I really love having his name, uh, especially because we bank at the same banking institution. <laughs> and they have made mistakes sometimes and put some of his money into my account. And, and when it happens, I don't say anything because how many know God will supply all of your needs? <laughs> According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Come on, he's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. But the only time, the only time it created some tension in having my father's name is when I was living at home and somebody would call the house. And when they called the house, it created a problem because if they said, Can I speak to Robert? inevitably we would have to reply with, Which one? Now, it really helps that my father and I, we have distinctly different voices, okay? If you've heard me preach before, you know I've told you my dad is from Nigeria. He came to America like Eddie Murphy in the movie. Met my mom who's American. That's why I'm African. American and so my dad's Nigerian, talks Nigerian. So if they called and said, can I speak to Robert? And they heard, this is him. They knew they were talking to me. But if they called and said, can I speak to Robert? And they heard, this is him. <laughs> 
they knew they were speaking to my dad. So I learned at a young age, it would be beneficial to me to learn how to do my dad's voice. So ladies and gentlemen, for years, I have been impersonating my dad. Not just when I started preaching, for years. My mom was the first victim. I come home from school and be like, honey, I am home, what's for dinner? <laughs> my mom would come around the corner, hey, sweetheart, we having chicken. Boy, you play too much. You play too much. <laughs> Been doing my dad's voice. But there's one day, one day, I took it too far. Took it too far, People's Church. And this is really the impetus for my thoughts today. I took it too far when I was in school, and I was acting a fool in Miss Jones' class. Acting a fool. And Miss Jones got so exasperated with my disruptive behavior that she said, Robert Madu, I am sick of your disruptive behavior. Today at 3 o'clock, I am calling your father. I said, Miss Jones, please don't call my dad. He is African. He will kill me. Please don't call. She said, I don't care. Let him kill you. Today at 3 o'clock, I'm calling your father. I have never ran home from school so fast in my life. I run home, and sure enough, at 3 o'clock, the phone rings, and it goes, bring. I'm like, Robert, don't do this. Robert, don't pick up the phone. Robert, you cannot impersonate your dad to your teacher. Bring, bring. Robert, don't do it. You're taking this too far. But I got nervous. I didn't want to go to voicemail, and I panicked. So before I knew it, I just picked up the phone and said, hello? <laughs> she said, this is Miss Jones. I need to speak to Robert Madu Sr. I said, this is him. <laughs> And for the next four minutes, I kid you not, I talked to Miss Jones as my dad, and I ensured her that my son would no longer misbehave in your class because I have raised him much better than that. <laughs> and uh, I share that story with you today because I never will forget hanging up the phone and experiencing a dichotomy of emotions because little did I know that the momentary joy of deceiving my teacher would be eclipsed by the perpetual fear that lasted all school year, wondering which day would be the day that my cover would be blown. And Ms. Jones would realize that the Robert Madu she talked to on the phone that day was not the Robert Madu I was pretending to be. Hmm. Have you ever been something you're not to get what you need? Have you ever played pretend just so you could fit in? Have you ever felt the external pressure to be something or someone you're not simply to appease an audience that you knew would not accept the authentic, so you settled for the synthetic? Ooh, let's not get too deep in here today. Uh, let, let me ask it another way. Have you ever posted a selfie? You ever posted a selfie? Come on, you're familiar with the selfie. It is a cultural phenomenon. Selfie is now in the dictionary, and smartphones have revolutionized the way we take pictures today. We as humans take almost one trillion photos a year today. That's more pictures than in the entire 19th century, but 300 million of those photos are selfies. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, 300 million people will post a picture called a selfie. And I'm going to do something I've never done at People's Church. I'm going to post a mid-sermon selfie. Is that cool? Can I post a mid-sermon selfie? And I love selfies because ooh, selfies like all of social media, it's all about, let's see, authenticity, right? It's all about the real, unedited, 
uh, unfiltered you, right? So, so let, let's just let's just take a selfie. And you know, when you take a selfie, you, you don't want to do it like this. You don't want to hold your phone like this. You actually want to hold it up because that's gonna make your face look slimmer. And this is about posting the real you. So you you want to hold it like this, and you want to make sure you get in just the right amount of light. And then you want to just start taking uh, quite a few. I suggest like 77. And uh, once you've taken a few, you want to peruse through them and make sure you find the best one. And then once you found the best one, don't just post it. Oh no, never do that. Cause this is about posting the real you. So once you found the perfect one, you want to put it in the right filter. You want to edit it, crop it, flip it, whip it, bake it, shake it, crop it, tan it just to the right angle. Then you want to post it with a nice caption that reads, just woke up like this, hashtag all natural. And then wait. <laughs> Wait for the comments to come in. Talking about, girl, you killing them. Hashtag hair goals. And just wait. And just feel a little bit better about yourself. And the re don't laugh too hard. You're exposing yourself. Um, <laughs> the reason you laugh is because you've either done it. But I submit to you that even if you don't have a social media account, every single person in this room knows what it's like to wrestle with the person that you post and the person that you really are. The wrestle between the person that you really are and the person that you want others to perceive you to be. And if you are not careful in this narcissistic, egocentric, selfie-saturated culture, you will begin to approach God the same way you approach people, which is to show your best and then to hide the rest. But God says, I cannot bless the person that you post. He says, I can't bring a breakthrough to the person that has 8 million filters. He said, I can only deal with the real you. So as long as you got your selfie in the way, you will never become who God has called you to be. But as soon as you get rid of your selfie, how many know breakthrough can come in your life? Ooh, I'm telling you, you might fool man with your filters, but you cannot fool God. Man can comment on the condition of your selfie, but only God can comment on the condition of your soul. And God's saying, I got to deal with the real you because I cannot change the person you pretend to be. I think my title really presents the problem because the title is me, my selfie, and God. And as long as it's you, your selfie, and God, you will never get a breakthrough. How many know you got to get your selfie out of the way to the place that it is just you and you and God alone, creation and creator, and allow him to form and forge who you really are until you get along with him. I love my text because perhaps the most important words in the text are the first five words in the text. It says, and Jacob was left alone. And Jacob was left alone. Because when God wants to show you who you really are, he first has to get you alone. Until you are alone with God, you will never know your true identity. It's, it says that Jacob was left alone. And this is when his whole transformation started. He had to be left alone. Did you read the text? Come on, the Bible said the man had two wives. Two wives. That's already messed up right there because the Bible is clear. No man can serve two masters, okay? You just, some of you get that tomorrow. I mean, this is it's already a problem. He's got two wives. He's got all this cattle. He's got all these possessions. And all of this noise is stopping him from stepping into the effulgence of who God wants him to be. So God says, I got to get all that away from you, Jacob, so I can show you who you truly are. I, I love the Bible because the Bible just feels the need to tell us that before Jacob had this encounter with God, that he crossed the Jabbok River. 
crossed the Jabbok River. How many of you know when you read the Bible, you can't just read it at surface level? That the Bible, you got to dig deeper because it's always giving, the Bible's always giving you blues clues as to what's really happening in the text. And I find it intriguing that the word Jabbok, it literally translates to mean emptying out. Emptying out. As if God is subliminally suggesting to us that Jacob, I want to show you who you are. But you're too full of yourself. <laughs> I got you to, I got to get you to empty out yourself so I can pour in who you really are. I got to get your ego out of the way. You know, ego stands for etching God out. It's the areas of your life where you want to do you, boo-boo, just do you. And God says, if you want to do you, you will never have a transformation. I got to get you out of yourself so I can pour into you who you truly are. And Jacob was left alone. I want to ask you a critical question really at the onset of this message. When was the last time you were left alone with God? No, seriously, when was the last time it was just you and God alone? No Facebook, no Periscope, no Twitter, no nothing, just you and God alone. Because hear me, if you never have a moment of being alone with God, you will never be transformed. Ooh, let me say it in a way that will tweet. There is no transformation without isolation. There's no transformation without isolation. Isn't it funny that everybody wants to be transformed? Everybody wants to be a better husband, a better wife, a better person, a better student, but nobody wants to be left alone. I tell you, the scariest thing for some people in this room is not to swim in shark-infested waters or to preach in front of 10,000 people, but the scariest thing for some people in this room is to be left alone. Because if you are left alone, how many know you got to deal with the real you? You can't deal with your selfie when you're left alone. I was talking to a friend not too long ago. He's kind of going through a storm and all kinds of stuff is going crazy and stuff. And he's wrestling with identity. And, and he's like, man, I just need to take a trip. I just need to get away and just take a trip. That'll help. And I wanted to tell him, the problem with taking a trip is you take you with you. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many know you can't escape yourself? You got to deal with the real you, yet nobody wants isolation. We're taught from the time we're a kid that isolation is bad, aren't we? We tell little kids when they mess up, little Billy, oh, you in trouble, go on timeout, timeout. Of course, not in my house. It wasn't timeout. We got knocked out. It was a different parental style, but... But we're taught from the time we're a kid that isolation is bad. But I'm finding as a grown adult, you got to take a time out. Sometimes you just got to shut stuff down, shut off your smart device that's making you stupid and say, I got to get along with God. Sometimes you got to do it at the beginning of the day because you know you're going to be inundated with so many voices that are going to try to tell you who you are. So allow God to download into your heart and your spirit your true identity. And that is done in isolation. God told me to tell somebody that the chasm, the space between who you are and who God has created you to be will only be bridged by the frequency of your ability to take a time out. Just take a time out. Jacob was left alone with God. Now, before you miss the message and leave here to say, today and say, whoo, Robert was preaching today. You hear what he said? Left alone. See, that's all I need is me, myself, and I. That's why I don't go to church now. I don't need none of them hypocrites. I just need to be left alone by myself. Don't take it too far because how many you know you find your identity in isolation but also in community? Come on, that's why you need community. It's time for you to not just be a spectator at people's church, but some of you need to get plugged in and be a participator because you find out who you are in the context of community. Come on, even God himself is a community. He's God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three, wrapped up in one. Come on, if God needed community, you know your crazy self needs some community to help you become who God has called you to be. So what is it, Robert? Is it isolation or community that shows me who I am? And the answer is both. Both of them show us who we are. In fact, I, I think it's more like this. Um, 
You ever had like a big surgery? Anybody in here ever had like a major surgery? Come on, you know when you have a major surgery, like you want community around you, don't you? Come on, you want your mama, you want your friends, you want your pastor, you want the Pope. If you can fly him down here, you want community. And community is awesome in that moment, but when it comes time for the surgery, how many know they will not roll your pastor into the room? They're not going to roll your mama in there. It will be you and the surgeon alone. And that is a beautiful picture of what it is to become who God has called you to be because you need community. But oftentimes it is in the moments of solidarity when you're with the sovereign surgeon that he can do surgery and extract those things that are contrary to his purpose and his will for your life. Jacob was left alone. You know, Jacob, he never had a moment where he was left alone. From the time he was born, he was born in the womb with a twin. I love the Bible because the Bible just doesn't give us Jacob's story. It backs that thing up and gives us all of his family's story. Come on, you know Jacob's dad is Isaac. His grandfather is Abraham. Come on, y'all know Father Abraham. You know, the one that had you doing the moves in Sunday school. Father Abraham, right arm, left. You know, before you was doing the whip in the nene, he was doing the Father Abraham, man. <laughs> Abraham is his grandfather. And I love that the Bible tells us not just Jacob's story, but his entire family story, because this family is proof positive that just because you saved doesn't mean you're sane. That just because you're called doesn't mean you're crazy. I'm telling you, if you read the things that happen in that story, Dr. Phil and Oprah don't got enough airtime to deal with the idiotic idiosyncrasies of this family. They what? absolutely crazy and yet God still called them and yet God still used them and I'm so glad that the Bible gives us the real story the good the bad and the ugly because how many know church people don't do that oh can we be real in here today come on church people do not tell their real testimony church people act like they in the witness protection program come on that they floated in here and had communion for breakfast they don't ever tell their real story so sometimes you can lose hope looking at church people but I'm glad the bible gave us the real story to let us know if God can use somebody as messed up as them then surely God can use somebody like me somebody needs to take that word your dysfunction does not disqualify you God still wants to use you and the Bible tells us that his story actually begins with barrenness because his mother Rebecca was not able to have children she was barren in fact she gets so desperate one time she grabs her husband Isaac and says give me a child or I'm going to die I love Isaac because he's a typical man he said woman I'm not God I mean well, I, don't, I can't do this we just got to keep practicing hello and let God <laughs> do the rest and surely enough God heard her cry and this woman went from being barren to pregnant with twins from being barren to a double blessing what an awesome God that we serve that he can take you from a season of barrenness to a double blessing come on somebody needs to take that word right now don't you give up in the situation you're in even though it seems barren God can take you from being barren to a double blessing all of a sudden she's walking around she's taking off her heels and she's walking like this and she actually experiencing some wrestling and some pain with the pregnancy in fact it gets to a place where she, the woman who said give me a child lest I die all of a sudden cries out one day and said Lord what have you done to me Ooh. elbow your neighbor say be careful what you pray for and all of a sudden she goes to the nurse she says something is going on you need to just check and you know she puts the little gel on Rebecca's tummy and does the little thing and, and looks at the monitor and the nurse's face goes what in the world and she says y'all need to see this and she flips the screen around and when she flips the screen around the two boys in her womb are wrestling in the womb just straight fighting in the womb this WWE for real womb wrestling entertainment and they're just fighting in the womb find it intriguing that Jacob's natural birth started with a fight 
And his spiritual birth started with a fight because it is a fight to become who God has called you to be. It is the fight of your life. She progresses in her pregnancy. It gets time for the big day, and all of a sudden she's there, and, I, and Rebecca's pushing. And I just like, come on, sweetheart, you can do it. And all of a sudden the first one comes out, and, and, and she's like, is he coming? And she's like, yeah, he's coming. And she's like, is he sweet? Is he handsome? And the husband's like, no, he ain't handsome. He's hairy because Esau means hairy. And, and they're starting to pull the first one out, and this is where the birth story gets totally weird because as they're trying to pull the first baby out, Esau, they run into a complication because Jacob in the womb, is pulling his brother by his foot and is trying to get him back into the womb. So Jacob on the inside and the nurse on the outside are playing tug of war with the baby and Jacob's trying to pull him back in. And this is where you got to respect the prenatal genius of Jacob because even as a kid, he understands that if you ain't first, you ain't nothing. That second place is first place loser. So he's in the womb talking about, no, 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 no. You ain't going to get out before me. Me first, me first. Now, I don't want to preach and postulate an erroneous theology at People's Church, nor do I want to bring a presupposition to this biblical pericope, but I find it intriguing that if Jacob is pulling his brother by the heel, trying to get him back in the womb, saying, not you, me, isn't that the exact same position that you have when you're doing a selfie that's all about you? <laughs> Y'all don't want to help me preach it here today. Jacob. As a kid, it's already built with the disposition that we have as humans to say, not them, me first. Me first. Look at me. Oh, this is so intriguing because you understand during that time period to be born first was significant. Because if you were born first, you got the birthright. And the father's inheritance was not spread equally. The firstborn actually got more stuff. So you wanted to be born first so you could get more stuff. Ooh, if that isn't humans, I don't know what else is. Because we want to be first. We actually think if we got more stuff, that'll show us who we really are. But how many know stuff does not form your identity? I don't care. Get the bigger house. Get the best car you want. It will never show you who you really are. In fact, we're interesting. We don't just want stuff. We actually want more stuff than other people. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we don't take pride in the possession itself, but in having more of it than somebody else. Ooh, that's good. So, so it's not that you want to be pretty. You want to be prettier than everybody else. It's not that we want to be rich. We want to be rich er than everybody else. Let me get the religious people. It's not that you want to be holy. You want to be holy er than everybody else. So everybody's living a life of er. But the problem with living a life of er is you always gonna find somebody that's er than you. So all you're going to be is on this perpetual treadmill of living a life of err, and you're finally just going to get frustrated and say, err. <laughs> it's always going to be somebody better. Always going to be somebody prettier. Always going to be somebody swagger than you. And I find it intriguing even that Abraham, you know, he came from the land of err of the Chaldeans, but that's for another time and another day. But Jacob's born with this human disposition of Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Ooh, I'm not hating on social media and Instagram and all that. I think it's awesome, but I sometimes think that's the message behind the likes is that we just want somebody to notice us. We just want somebody to say, look at me. 
Look at me, everybody. Look, look at me. Just, just look at me. Notice me. Validate me. Look at me, everybody. But can I tell you, a life that says, look at me, everybody, how many you know? That's a lame way to live. If you want to be lame, then just live a life that says, look at me, everybody. How many know the lens of your life shouldn't be on you? You're supposed to fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you put the lens of your life on him, that's how you actually find out who you are. See, we got to messed up in this culture. People are talking about, I just got to find myself. You know those crazy, I'm on a journey. I just, I just got to find me. Ain't no way to find you by looking at you. That's a messed up trip to take. If you want to find you, then seek God. And when you find God, he'll begin to reveal who you really are. <laughs> to ignore God is to ignore you. Because he's the only one that knows your purpose, your destiny, what he created you for. He is born with this look at me, everybody attitude. It's shocking to see what people will do just to get the blessing of their father. If you read another moment in Jacob's life, I find it intriguing because Jacob was so desperate for his father to bless him. One day, he goes in the house and puts on his brother's clothes because his father couldn't see. He said, let me trick my dad and get a blessing. He puts on his brother's clothes to trick his dad and make his dad think he's Esau, the firstborn. Puts on his brother's clothes, but then he runs into a problem because his brother was born hairy. He's a hunter. He was a huntsman. Jacob wasn't a hunter. He had smooth skin, was in the house watching Martha Stewart with his mama. And there's no, there's no plastic surgery in biblical antiquity. So he takes the skin of goats and puts goat hair all over him with his brother's clothes on. Can you imagine how dumb this boy looks? Walking in with goat hair all over him and has his brother's clothes on. And when his dad said, who, who is that? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm Esau. And just posing, looking ridiculous as all get out. But before you laugh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because you would be shocked at what people will do people will post, who people will hook up with, the links that the human soul will go to just to have somebody say, bless me, tell me I'm okay. <laughs> the funny thing is, Jacob fooled his dad, but he never fooled himself. His brother Esau comes in, sees what he did. He takes off on the run, thinking he's running from Esau, but he was actually running from himself. I almost started to call this message, catch me if you can. You ever see that movie, Catch Me If You Can, where Leonardo played uh, this guy who was the biggest con artist. He pretended to be a teacher. He pretended to be a pilot. He was a lawyer, never took the bar exam or anything, fooling everybody, and the FBI caught a hold of him, and he was on the run. He thought from the FBI, but in actuality, he was just running from himself. All of a sudden, Jacob finally gets alone with God. God says, now that I have you alone, now I'm going to show you who you really are, and it's going to start with a fight. Now, I'm going to ask my dad to come out here real quick and help me preach as I land this plane. Y'all doing all right? Y'all welcome my dad, Robert Meduse Sr. <laughs> Bible says Jacob finally got left alone with God. And when he's left alone, all of a sudden the Bible says a man, a man just appears out of the blue. Now, this is in the Bible called a theophany. This is a physical manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God. This is God that shows up. It's not just a man, but, but it is God. But the thing I found intriguing reading the text is that throughout the Bible, we see theophanies. We see the pre-incarnate Christ showing up. But more often than not, he comes to bring a pronouncement, a blessing, a word, kind of like with Abraham. Angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. Tell your wife, get ready. I know she's a senior citizen, but she's about to have a baby. Usually they give a word, some type of pronouncement. 
But not with Jacob. When God shows up, the man shows up, he doesn't say a word. He don't even open up his mouth. He just starts knocking Jacob upside the head, just starts fighting with him. Because how many know it is a fight to become who God has called you to be? Please don't miss this. God will comfort you into relationship, but he will fight with you to get your identity out. He loves you, but he will wrestle with you. Come on, just like a mama eagle who loves her baby eagle and for a season will just bring in the baby eagle worms, just the baby eagle just eating worms, having a good time. Oh, mama, are the worms going to be fried next week? Yeah, baby, just eating it for a while. But then all of a sudden, Mama Eagle, who loves Baby Eagle, stops feeding Baby Eagle one day and takes her beak and starts tearing apart the nest while Baby Eagle is in it. And Baby Eagle's looking like, Mama, what you doing? You tearing up the whole house. What are you? And Mama keeps doing it and then takes her beak and pushes Baby Eagle off the top of the tree. And Baby Eagle's like, Mama, what are you doing? I will die. I will die. I can fly. Come on, there's some things you won't ever know who you are until you, oh, come on, somebody, until you get in the midst of that fight. It's going to show you who you are. Just wrestles with Jacob. And they start fighting all night long. But here's what really brought me to the text. Please don't miss this, y'all. The Bible says in the middle of the fight, after the fight, fought all night, that all of a sudden the man touches Jacob's hip. Now, theologians believe that Jacob didn't even realize he was fighting God until this moment. Some of you don't even realize the fight you're in is actually God trying to pull something out of you to show you who you really are. The Bible says the man just touched Jacob's hip and his entire hip came out of the socket. Now, when I read it, I thought, man, this had to be a big touch. He must have just grabbed his hip and pulled it out. I started studying the text. Not at all. This was actually the lightest tap, the lightest touch. The man just went, boop, after fighting all night, just went. And Jacob's entire hip came out of the socket. Come on, I know some powerful people, but I don't know anybody powerful enough to just touch your hip like boop and your whole hip come out of the socket. The only person that got the power to touch your hip like boop and it come out of the socket has to be the person that put your hip together, has to be the person that formed you, has to be the person that created you. So that's when the fight transitioned and he realized, I'm not just fighting a man, I'm fighting God. So he switched his posture from wrestling to saying, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Whew. Let me see if I can really make it plain. I had my dad up here because when God touched his hip, it reminded me of how I used to wrestle with my dad when we were kids. You remember? And uh, believe it or not, he used to be taller and I was shorter. <laughs> and we wrestled all the time. And I go up, I was trying to wrestle with my dad. And, and, and my dad, he could have knocked me out as soon as I went up to fight with him, but it's fun to wrestle. Sometimes the fun is in the wrestling. I think God sometimes gives pleasure in just trying to break down our will and our stubbornness, trying to get you to realize, hello, that ain't going to work. You need to come to me to find out who you are. And we'd wrestle together. My dad used to have this move that I think is similar to the boop that God did to Jacob. He had this move he would always pull out. My brother, I wish he was here to corroborate the story. He had this move called the Nigerian hold. Can't make this up, people. And the Nigerian hold is when he would pull it out when he was tired of wrestling with us and he wanted to show us his true strength and his true power. And I was asking my dad, I was like, Dad, you still know the Nigerian hold? And I'd like to let my dad show you the Nigerian hold. Go ahead, show him the Nigerian hold. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's what God was doing with Jacob. And the message of the Nigerian hold is this. Don't you get it twisted. I brought you in this world and I can take you out. I am your father. I am your God. Come on, somebody is in a Nigerian hold right now. God is trying to get you to surrender your will and your way till you 
household. I don't know who's in a Nigerian hold right now, but don't you let go of God. Don't you give up in the midst of that fight. He's trying to show you who you are. Jacob said, I realize who this is. God is in this fight. and He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless my soul. I don't know what fight you're in, but the worship team set it up so beautifully as we ended worship today singing, I surrender. And somebody needs to surrender today with their hands up saying, God, I know this is you. Make me, mold me to who you want me to be. I, I surrender. After the fight, once he got Jacob to his knees, then he asked him the critical question. He said, Jacob, let me ask you something. What's your name? What's your name? Jacob finally said, I am Jacob. You realize they called him Jacob after he had that moment when he grabbed his brother's heel. Jacob means heel grabber. It means trickster. It means deceiver. That's what they called him from the time he was a kid. He just lived up to the name. Isn't it funny how somebody can call you something? You'll just live up to the name and the expectations of other people. That's who he was. And finally he said, God, no more selfies. I'm Jacob. I've been deceiving tricking. And God says, because you got real, because you got your selfie out of the way, now I'm changing your name. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. You are the triumphant one. See, as soon as you get real, that's when God can bless you. If you keep coming with your selfie, he can't change your selfie. And you'll never stop defeating yourself until you stop deceiving yourself. Say, this is the real me. And that's who God wants to transform.